down this road lies either madness or creative endeavor. No other way. It is this feeling when you recognize something, you understand it, and you just don't have the words to explain it. You don't have the science. You don't have the research. You don't have an ability to literally... Make people understand and believe you. You just know something. And we all have this ability because we're capable of recognizing things without knowing how to explain them. And if there's one thing I would consider to be what I am best at, the number one thing, the sort of defining characteristic of my writing, of my career, of my way of thinking, it is pattern recognition. That is my specialty. I pick up on patterns very easily. I sit there and consume lots of things, notice trends, and then think about those trends. It's why I'm very good at tracing influences of creators, noticing when things are inspired by other things. I'm very good at noticing the trends in media and commenting on them, and this has kind of been the backbone of a lot of my writing. And sometimes when you notice a trend, you find an easy explanation for why things are happening that way. For instance, once upon a time, I suddenly noticed that anime which had either 11 or 22 episodes tended to be way more unique than other shows. It was just a weird trend where every time I saw a show that was either 11 or 22 episodes, it was very different. Because those are very uncommon episode counts. Most anime is 12, 13, or 24, 26 episodes. So, as I researched it, I came to realize that the bulk of anime, which are 11 or 22 episodes, are those that run in the Noitamina block of television. Noitamina being um, a block that's aimed at both, like, women sometimes, and also just, like, non-anime fans. It's it, They tend to either have shows that are aimed at older women or shows that are just, like, artsy and experimental, especially in the early days of the block. So that's a big part of why those shows tended to be that way. Now, it wasn't across the board. Not every single 11- or 22-minute uh, episode show had come from that block, um, even the ones that were super inventive, but it was the reason for most of it. So there you go. Very clear-cut explanation found. However, sometimes I can find a pattern and I don't have that kind of easily findable explanation for why this pattern exists. And waiting for the science to catch up with it could take forever, which is what science is really all about. It's all about exhaustive testing, finding the proof, you know, just going through the whole boring rigmarole of proving your original hypothesis and you know a lot of hypotheses are wrong or just don't have they're not they're lacking in enough perspective to make a correct hypothesis and that's why the testing is necessary and so i as someone who's not a scientist and is not trying to be the most correct man on planet earth i tend to come up with hypotheses and use shorthand for how, you know, I would describe the thing that I have hypothesized. And the biggest one, the biggest, most contentious shorthand that I have come up with to explain a bunch of observable trends that I cannot stop thinking about is autism. The word autism fascinates me because of the fact that there was a time when it was 
only being used to refer to a very specific mental condition. Then there came along this word Asperger's, and it was seen as like Asperger's is light autism. That like it's it's like you don't quite have autism, but you have a lot of the same traits, but it's like not as pronounced. And then people started floating around this idea that it's a spectrum. That, okay, well, you're either on the far end of the autism spectrum or on the lighter end or the closer end. I don't know how you'd describe this. And as all of this information keeps circling around, it go, I start to feel like, okay, well, then autism's not really a thing, right? Like, maybe you can draw a circle around one specific area of this thing you're describing and call that autism. And that would be a real thing, a specific thing. But identifying that very specific thing is going to be nearly impossible when it shares so many traits with the things that are directly on either side of it. Like if you're to diagnose somebody with autism, it's probably not manifesting exactly the same way as the next guy diagnosed with it. And especially when, you know, before this was as understood as it is now, lots of people were being diagnosed. So this whole... Asperger's autism spectrum thing, what it's really describing is a whole bunch of different similar things that are getting grouped together under this broad label. And some people would very much like to cut down on all the other stuff and just say autism is this one thing. But it's the whole problem with it, the whole reason it was ill-defined in the first place is that there are so many similar things and they don't all have names and there might be as many of them as there are people who have, you know, just similar states of mind. And so when I talk about autism, I try to talk about it in the broadest possible terms because there is no better blanket term for this. There is no better blanket term than the autism spectrum for this whole range of things that are clearly similar, that have a bunch of similarities to each other, and that the people who are anywhere on this spectrum can relate in a way that people not on it cannot relate. And I would not describe myself as autistic, like, in a serious way, because I, I have, you know, autistic family members. I've grown up around autistic people. I know what, like, severe autism is like. I clearly don't have that. However, the, the ability of me to understand those autistic people is so much vastly greater than the other people I've ever known who have interacted with those people because I feel similarly. And the things that they... The things that they're afflicted with just feel like very extreme and non-self-aware versions of ways that I feel. So it's like, to me, it's like, okay, what? this is like the same thing. It's just that you've been hit with it harder or you're not – weren't raised in such a way or aren't intelligent enough to understand – like, that it's the same thing. And I've known people who are more severely autistic, a lot more than me, who are still very, like, successful, intelligent people who are capable of doing, you know, uh, as much or better than what I can do just because they have that intelligence and self-awareness. They understand that they are different, the way in which they're different, the mechanism of how it works, and they have figured out how to live with that. 
But uh, like most people are not are not going to figure that out because it's really difficult. That's not something that you just you know can just fucking figure out entirely on your own, especially when nobody's telling you that it's even possible. So really, it comes down to like mindset and your ability to you know understand the thing that you're afflicted with. And for me, like having the mere conception of the idea that I had something like that was actually really helpful. And I know it's hurt a lot of people. Like, a lot of people, they they get it into their head that, like, oh, I have Asperger's, I have autism, therefore I cannot participate in society normally. Or, like, I, this is something holding me back, and they treat it like it's holding them back. For me, I grew up my whole life with no understanding of in what way I might be different from other people. Like, I don't know why I am so different. I don't know what's going on here. And it wasn't until I was, like, in my early 20s that I tried taking one of those just online Asperger's quizzes, you know, and, like, got, like, full marks. It was, like, everything that they said was a symptom. I had it on some level. And it was when I identified that that I went, okay, well, I know, now that I know that this is just caused by Asperger's, I can fight this. It's like, oh, this is a common, like, this isn't me being weird. This is just a way that people who who have brains like mine tend to be. Well, then I'll just be the opposite of that. You know, I'll just stop doing these things that I will t- naturally tend towards and try to fight against that, you know, and, and beat back those instincts and you know, try to be the opposite of that person, and it informed the way I was able to evolve from there. And, like, it's difficult for me to portray this to you because, like, most of you don't know anything about me before I became famous, and I'm a very different person, you know? Like, becoming famous changed me in a a massive way. I used to be somebody who didn't talk to anyone. Like, I was completely unsociable. I, every interaction I had was extremely awkward. Everything that came out of my mouth was weird. I think back constantly on almost every interaction I had up to a certain point and how, you know, I still haven't gotten over so many of these, you know, cringeworthy things that I've said or done, you know, and just dwelled on it forever. And, like, let that be the the force that drives me to try to not be that anymore, you know, to work against that. And I've been different for long enough that I just don't feel that way anymore, the way I used to feel. Like, I don't feel like that person. I don't feel like the person who's afflicted with those same problems. So it's difficult for me to come out here and say, like, oh, yeah, I used to be hella autistic and now I'm not? That doesn't make sense because that doesn't seem like it follows with how autism works if it's really just the way your brain is structured or something. But we judge it on the basis of the observable behaviors, not on the way that people think. And so if you are still thinking like an autist, but you're changing your observable behavior and you are, you know, portraying yourself as a different person from the person that you have, you know, that you would be if you just followed your instincts, but you're deliberately constantly checking those instincts and making sure that you're not being, you know, a massive autist all the time like you used to be, then it's not going to come off 
like you're autistic anymore, right? Like, the... Not to mention the fact that you do physiologically change as you grow. Not only, you know, the shape of your brain and the way that your body informs your brain. I mean, we talked about on the Whirling Dervish the the whole study about the gut bacteria curing autism, which has been, you know, contested. There's other articles saying, well, this was like a, you know, the, the study had no control. It's just one study. You know, who knows what the data will really bring. The point simply of it, the main takeaway to get from it is just the fact that gut bacteria at all affects you so powerfully that it's possible that the makeup of the bacteria in your guts literally has control over your entire way of thinking and the entire way that you act and perform as a person. So, I mean, it's possible that just in the process of me becoming famous and getting myself out there and interacting with more people and, uh, I don't know, eating more food from different places, maybe I just got the gut bacteria. I know this sounds insane, and it probably is. I'm just positing the, the mere conceit. Just think about that idea. Think about how insane it would be if that were true. If I literally just changed the way I live, like, changed my lifestyle in such a way that my body obtained the gut bacteria that stymied the autism to some level. Obviously, it didn't get rid of it since you're listening to the Rolling Dervish podcast and this is what I'm talking about. But, you know, that self-awareness to be able to address that, that is something that a lot of autistic people don't have and that is, I think, what hamstrings them more than the autism itself. So I figured out finally how to make this easier, how to explain what I mean when I refer to autism, and maybe I need to make up a word for this. I don't know what it would be yet, but there's, I think I've characterized what autism means to me, and what it is, is the inability to understand the world and other people through any lens other than yourself. Autism, to me, is when you are only able to understand things by way of comparison to yourself. So if the only way you can empathize with another person is by thinking about how you relate to whatever they're going through, and if you struggle to empathize with people when you can't relate to what they're going through, that is the autism. Because that's not how other people are. Other people just view other people from themselves as other people. They view it as you are, you're a different person from me. You have your own needs and your own personality and we have to coexist regardless of there being no connection between us. Whereas autistic people can only view you as being like them, but doing something different and therefore wrong. Or if they can, you know, understand that it's not wrong to be different, then they have to try to put themselves into your position and understand why, like, why would I do what you're doing? What would have to have happened to me? How would I have to have been affected to, you know, to be like you? And this is why autistic people are obsessed with media. It's why we need 
TV shows and movies and all that shit in order to explain ourselves because we can't understand the world without something to compare against. And the experience of having watched media is an experience we have now had. So if I were to say, like, if someone comes up to me and they tell me, like, oh, uh, you know, my dog died and uh, it made me feel this way. And then I say, oh, that's just like what happened on the latest episode of uh, whatever show I'm watching, CSI Miami, let's say. It's the first thing that came to he- came into my head. I'm not watching that, by the way. Um if, if you're like, oh, that's just like how this character reacted in CSI Miami, it's because you're connecting their experience to something you have experienced, which is watching this show and internalizing it. And when you talk to autistic people, everything is that. Everything is a comparison to something else. Everything is understood through the lens of whatever they've experienced or they have, you know, watched. So when you hear something like, say, Monkey Jones comparing his entire life to Breaking Bad and not being able to describe his life in terms other than television, that is the autism. Now, when you have someone who's extremely autism, but they're also a genius creative, that's when you call it auteurism. You see, auteurism is people who, because they have like this very specific collection of who they are as defined by all these other things that they've consumed, they end up with a very specific vision. They have a vision that is the coagulation of their personal experiences, and they don't know how to step outside of that at all. They are incapable of putting that aside and interfacing with someone else's conception of reality. And a lot of them, the way they understand things is, again, through media. It's through what they have consumed, what they've experienced by way of other people. And that's when you get someone like a Quentin Tarantino, whose movies are all just like a pastiche of all these other movies that he's seen. Because his ability to understand the world and relate to people comes from movies. And he consumes as much of it as possible so that he has as broad a frame of reference as possible. And that's why his movies are relatable to regular people. Everybody can watch them and appreciate them because he has borrowed from the lexicon of so many people trying to explain human nature through so many different works and he incorporates all of it directly into his because the best way for him to understand that human experience is just to deliver like literally talk about another piece of media that already told that story and just you know plant it right into his and it's the reason that those kinds of directors tend to be extremely controlling over their work. They have a very specific vision and the you know the idea of the auteur that they it's all them. It's all about them. It's never a community effort. It's about you and your understanding, and that's the only way it makes sense. And it just tends that people who write that kind of story appeal to people who also think of the world that way, like me. My keystone to understanding this, to sort of cracking this code, was Hideaki Anno. It was all when I did my video series where I was breaking down the history of Hideaki Anno, that was when I came to all these conclusions, so to speak, and then eventually started tying it specifically into autism. Because Hideaki Anno, um, not only did he himself famously quote that uh, all 
animators are or like all anime directors are autistic like he or just like every, i think he said something like everybody in the anime industry is autistic that was his theory and ano himself is clearly autistic the way that he's portrayed by everybody around him the way that he's described the way that he acts um you know it's so like textbook autism nobody would question that and Neon Genesis Evangelion is very much a show about a, a character who's experiencing the difficulty of communicating with other people that is kind of core to the autistic experience, and uh, find me an autist who doesn't love Shinji Ikari. I defy you to. Much like Quentin Tarantino, Hideaki Anno is somebody whose work is mostly a pastiche of all the things that influenced him, his understanding of the world by way of tons of different art. And that's the reason that he encourages other anime creators to go consume stuff that's not just anime. Because the way he sees it, all these autistic creators are trapping themselves in a loop of only listening to each other, and they're only making works for the autistic experience. They're only making stuff that appeals to other anime fans, stuff that only appeals to people viewing the world through this exact same lens and never branching out to try to understand more perspectives than their own, which you can do through consuming art from other perspectives, which is what Anno does and why his work is able to be so worldly, because he is able to understand. He is capable of understanding other people and a broad swath of emotions because he has listened to their stories. And I feel very similarly. I'm somebody who's always gone out of my way to try to consume as much media as possible because it always strengthens my understanding of the world and people. Because I can watch a show and I can get out of it, why would someone make this? What thought goes into this? What causes somebody to view the world this way? What have they experienced, you know, in their life that might have caused them to write this way? And it broadens my perspective on what people can be like. And granted, you can't get that just from art. You also have to interact with people because not every personality type even is an artist or is capable of expressing themselves that way. You need to be able to also probably go out and work a regular job surrounded by regular people in order to get more understanding of what they're like and why they, you know, think the way they do, why they vote the way they do, you know, like, what is the structure of society for these people? But inevitably, people like me will always favor the most, will cherish the most, those works like that of Hideaki Anno or Quentin Tarantino because of the fact that it is somebody else who's already gone and taken huge amounts of perspective from all these other people and then boiled it all down to the most dense and essential elements to communicate it all to you in one huge package. And so for someone like me, who is always going to reverse engineer the message and try to unpack everything that's there, it's basically like getting told a thousand stories at once. As opposed to just hearing each individual person's reason for, you know, their perspective. It's like, I'm getting one guy's, you know, filtering a thousand perspectives through himself into, you know, uh, one little piece that I can take in. And then, you know, there is a bit of a game of telephone. It's not like I'm going to understand all the things that this guy watched immediately. But he's also giving me 
a guidebook to go explore that stuff. If you watch a Tarantino film, part of the expectation, I would think, on his part is that you will go investigate the movies he's referencing and go watch them. Because there's nothing he would want you to do more than watch as many movies as fucking possible. Obviously, I too consider myself one of these waypoint operators, and I've not only taken the influence of all this anime and all these other art forms that I consume that I review, but a huge part of it for me is looking at other people who are in similar situations to myself and accumulating their styles. I look at other people who are, you know, bedroom producers who, you know, uh, create things on the internet, and I try to get all of their perspectives and package that for you as well. I'm, you know, probably the person who has talked the most about the nature of being a content creator on the internet, and it's not just my perspective, it's the perspective I've gained from consuming so many creators who are similar to me, and incorporating their styles into my style, which itself is very much a pastiche of a bunch of internet creators. The Whirling Dervish podcast, of course, being pretty much the dick show, it was inspired by the fact that in Dick Show episodes, usually the first 45 minutes or so are him just ranting about something that's driven him insane that week. And then he will also go on these sort of broader cultural tangents from time to time. And I wanted to make a show that was more about those broad cultural tangents and sort of spiraling down any avenue that he hadn't really gotten around to talking about. And I think Dick has way more perspective than I do. I think he's somebody who knows a lot more about like the fundamentals of how the world operates, particularly economically, than I do um, as somebody who hasn't really stepped out into the world in that massive of a way over the course of my life, but I've gotten to a point where I'm I'm kind of old enough and have enough experiences where I feel confident that I can at least inform you of something and for certain help out a lot of people who are younger than me who, you know, struggle to have perspective on really much of anything when, again, like me, they've spent their whole life trapped in their room. So of course, it's hard for me to talk about all of this and talk about how I connect this all to autism and, you know, lacking a better word for the phenomenon that I'm trying to describe. And autism is fitting because of the fact that so many people who are diagnosed and severely autistic communicate in exactly this way and, you know, are so similar to the people who are less extreme and but they're just there's just a something a little bit more you know there's just like it's just the same mentality but with a few extra switches flipped but like when i talk to an autistic person i feel like i completely get where they're coming from on everything they're saying it's not like nothing that an autistic person says is weird to me none of it comes off as like i don't know why you're communicating this way doesn't mean that i'm like necessarily uh not aggressive towards, you know, like if some, if an autistic person is being extremely annoying and like, uh, confrontational, cause like, and I don't mean annoying as in like, you're just, you know, saying weird shit or being a little hyperactive. Um, you know, like I have had an experience with my autistic cousin in the car insisting that we all go find and rape a girl because it would be funny and not stopping no matter how many times people told him to shut the fuck up. You know, there's 
times when autism combined with a, you know, a shitty personality can be way more than I can handle. And I'm surrounded by it all the time because of the fact that a lot of my audience is on some level autistic. I've been a part of communities, the fucking brony community, which I would say is 100% on the autistic spectrum. Every single person in it without fail. And... You know, anime fandom, obviously, a lot of autism there. There's been studies about why autistic people gravitate towards anime because of the fact that the emotions are clear and readable. You don't have to interpret anything. Characters are very forthright with their emotions and their big, expressive faces make it very clear what they're thinking. You don't have to ask any questions. This is core to the experience of these mediums. And if you like anime, you're probably a little bit autistic. You need to face that idea first and foremost. The fact that there are people who watch my videos and like they hear me talking about autism and they're like, oh, that's your, you know, you just apply that to everything. It's like, yeah, I'm applying it to you too. I want you to take a step back and think about why you would be interested in something like this that regular people have no reason to be interested in because they don't need their media to like talk down to them on the level of being overtly expressive. The only reason we find that to be more enjoyable than regular, more subtle media is the autism. So... I hope I've made my case. If we can find a better word for the thing I'm describing then great, you know, that'll make it easier to have this conversation going forward. But I just want you to know that whatever that word is will still, in my mind at least, be synonymous with autism until the day science can find a better explanation. I think one of the hardest things to relate to other people is why you think the way you do. It's one thing to explain why you feel certain ways about certain things, but just your general thought process, the way you interpret the world... There's so many things that go into it. It's evolved so much over the course of the life. It's the summation of all your experiences. And I have experienced a lot of things that most people never would. Not only because of the fact that I grew up on the internet. And I think a lot of Zoomers probably have experienced a lot more of what I have because of the fact that they also have grown up on the internet. And when you grow up on the internet, you grow up in a very, very different world from the one that other people did. And it's because your social circle includes adults. There was a moment on a recent PCP episode where Munchie was talking about how he had experienced being groomed as a underaged person. And I thought about it and I went, holy fuck, like, yeah, that happened and I saw that happen. Because I've known Munchie since he was like 12. He was a fan of me when he was like 12 or 13. And in part because of the fact that Munchie looks a lot older than he is, he was my height at the time that I first met him when I was like 21 going on 22 and he was like 12. Um, I just thought he was my age when I met him the first time. Then I found out how young he was. But I was following him on Tumblr and I saw that he there were people who he was talking to who were older than him who he was either romantically interested in or in communication with. And it's not even slightly difficult for me to believe that he was, you know, talking to people who were who were probably flirting with him or sexually interested in him. And I know I thought back about how when I was 14, I 
tried to get into a relationship with a 30-year-old woman on a message board. And, like, just because she was so damaged and had so much bullshit going on in her life, and I was talking to her, you know, via private messages and shit and being like, oh, I, I, I'll, I'll fucking marry you, you know? That's my naive ass telling her. And then I get freaked out and bail on that. You know, and I'm thinking back on this stuff and I'm like, I mean, yeah, lots of people have had to deal with this kind of thing, regardless of the internet. I do think, especially probably young women, I won't even say that they, I'm just saying they're probably more so, but I definitely think all young people um, have some odds of having dealt with, you know, the fact that there are older people who want to fuck you and do weird shit and, um, or just manipulate you and take advantage of you, but when you're on the internet, that's right in your fucking face. There are people just lurking around through this easy pipe to young people to fuck with them in some way like that. And I think that everyone on the internet has dealt with way more weird shit than they've probably talked about, than they know how to talk about, than they even really have processed if they're still young. It's something you, not until you're older, can you look back on. And when you think about, like... Imagining yourself, you know, I'm 28 now, almost, and I think about me talking to, like, a 14-year-old online. It disgusts me. And then I think about how I was 14 and people were talking to me that way. And I go, that's fucking weird. I experienced that and I couldn't have really appreciated it until I was that age. And I have another layer of that. Because I became famous. And when you become famous, things get much weirder. Because it's not just that you're in a place where you could communicate with anybody. Like, if you're on the internet, you're open to a large number of people. And if you want to draw the attention of those people, it's not necessarily difficult. But once you have the attention of thousands of people... You start encountering lots of weird shit. And when I was in the brony days, when I first became famous, I talked to everyone. My Skype contact was openly available. I had 300 friends. I talked to everybody. Anybody who hit me up, I would talk to them. And the the amount of weird shit that I encountered or experienced, the amount of people who I talked to for an amount of time and then realized that they were going through some fucking baffling, crazy shit, it's astounding. And I can't go back from that. I can't go back to thinking or acting like a normal person. I can't view the world through the lens of not having experienced this. And it's very difficult for me to set myself aside and to try to be the person who didn't experience this or think like that or understand even people who haven't experienced these things. It's like things that are now obvious to me about human nature because I've encountered more people than most people have. And... You don't understand how much, like, people will say something like, okay, well, you you were locked in your room, and you're only talking to people through the internet, and, you know, uh, a lot of shallow connections. Even just encountering a larger number of people than most people do changes your perspective on people. Even just, like, even just looking at enough people will make you understand 
that there's more ways that people can be than you first thought. And it really changes the way that you view the world as a whole. And I think there's a lot of motherfucking people on the internet today who haven't had that number of connections or have only connected with people within a certain subset. They've only connected with people within like uh, a certain clique or culture and they can't think the way I do because they haven't encountered enough people and they, they won't, they likely won't. Most people will never encounter as many people as I have. You will never have as many weird and strange things happen to you as have happened to me. And All it takes is just that little bit of putting yourself out there, that little bit of being slightly different, just little tweaks in the formula of what is considered to be a normal life, and you are sent down a completely different road. All you have to do is, you know, uh, decide that you're going to do things a little bit differently in a way that the world isn't built to accommodate for, and suddenly everything breaks around you. And it's fascinating because I've now gotten to a point where I am so intimately, deeply tied into this this rich, rich tapestry of different threads. This is, uh, you know, uh, an anime blogger who I used to be friends with and a big fan of named Anime Critique used to always say, it's all a rich tapestry. That was his catchphrase. And it stuck with me a lot because that's really what it is. Everyone in the world is connected, like in Serial Experiments Lane. We are all always connected. You can't avoid that because we all occupy the same space. Everything one of us does has a rippling effect through all of society. You go buy a pen. You are participating in this whole pen industry. Everybody who works in that industry is connected to everybody working in every other industry. It it all ripples out, everything you do. So the more obvious the connection becomes to you the broader the world looks and the the crazier things become and the more you recognize the domino effect of every little action that you take and it can become so incredibly surreal and it has gotten that way for me because my social connections my regular everyday interactions with people are broadcast news on the internet The people who I have as friends or associates are people who get talked about by thousands of people. And what's made me, of course, think about this is Monkey Jones, who everybody's talking about now because everybody thinks he's lost his fucking mind. And um, he was supposed to call into the latest episode of The Dick Show. He bailed. It didn't surprise me in the slightest because I know Monkey Jones. And that's where this comes from because I – I only really socialize with people who I make content with. Everybody who's in the Procrastinators podcast, you know, and none of them is especially famous. Me and Monkey were probably the biggest names of people who have been involved with the podcast. You know, um, everybody in it has some notoriety and some level of this, this web of interconnection. But there's a level that you can get to where it becomes that you are ubiquitous within a certain sphere of the internet. So, like, if you are involved in the PCP narrative, you probably know about all the guys. If you're involved in anime, YouTube as a narrative, you know about me. If you're involved in this general, like, edgelord culture of the internet, you know about Monkey Jones. And Monkey, he, his influence really permeated a lot farther than his actual audience size. Like, 
he's somebody who is always seeking collaboration. He's always trying to involve himself with people. He got into a lot of podcasts. He, you know, is always trying to main, manage contact with people. He wanted to be known in that way. And so he's he's known by much more people than the number of actual subscribers he had on his channel. And so, you know, if you are in any way associated with Mumkey, then you are now a part of this this huge network of connection. And it's really bizarre because Mumkey was a member of the PCP, so all of us are connected to it. And we're all kind of looking at it from a distance, but I am also connected to the people talking about it. I've been on the Dick Show, I've been to Dick's house and been in his basement, and that's a major show that has connections to all these other people. This is the same episode where Dick's talking about going to VidCon and hanging out with all these people at VidCon who, you know, who know about him, and by proxy... I'm involved with all this. If they've listened to the Dick Show episodes that I'm on, they know who I am. Do they even know that I'm connected to Monkey Jones? Like, surely Dick is aware, because he and I did a podcast together, but I don't think he knows that, like, Monkey was at my house before. You know, I've I've met him in person. I've met Sheepover. I've done things with them in person. There are vlogs of us hanging out together. Like, this is a guy who I knew, who I was friends with. And our friendship went sour in a very public way that became drama on the internet. That's just two guys having a disagreement and, you know, having a falling out. And that's something that people have an opinion about. That's something that regular internet viewers are speculating the nature of and talking about who was right and who was wrong and comparing it to other internet drama. And then, you know, sometime out from that, now I'm sitting here on the internet unavoidably running into news about this guy that I used to hang out with and it's fucking everywhere. And it's like everything that's happening in this dude's life is is surrounding me, and I'm hearing about it on The Dick Show, which I'm connected to for entirely different reasons, and I'm hearing about how fucking FNGR has Monkey's fucking, uh, you know, new girlfriend on. FNGR and I used to do a fucking radio show together. He built his audience on drama, but like FNGR did a weekly show where he was, you know, he was a, ge- a regular guest on the pub crawl for like a whole fucking year. This is another guy who I know who's just involved with this for totally unrelated reasons, but he knows about Monkey because he knows me. He knew about Monkey through the fact that he was connected to me. And now he's connected to this whole drama and people are talking about it. And I'm just sitting here and I'm like, I'm the waypoint for all of this shit. And it's not even, nobody's even talking about me. That's, think about how surreal that is. To be looking at a, this huge web of weird connections and knowing that all of it comes back to you and people don't even know. Like, and I don't necessarily, like, I don't know, am I saying all this just to draw attention to myself, just to be like, hey guys, if you're gonna talk about this, shouldn't I be mentioned? I I almost feel that way on some level. Like, I I know there's, that's like just a weird ego trip kind of thing, but like, it's so bizarre to be seeing all this happen, and to be like, I facilitated this. Me, I'm just a fan of the dick show. I'm just watching it at home as I have been doing long before I was on it. You know, I was a fan of The Biggest Problem in the Universe for years. Just 
never imagining I'd have any connection to Maddox or Dick Masterson. Maddox, who I've been a fan of since I was like 14, 16, no, probably 16 is when I found out about Maddox, you know? So like a dec- over a decade ago, and somehow me just finding out about Maddox from a friend on an anime blog over a decade ago has led to this moment where I... Dick Masterson, who I know now, who I've been to his house, who considers me as, you know, uh, I don't know, I doubt he considers me like a friend, but he considers me as a, a comrade in arms, you know, as, as one of the members of the pantheon of the Dick show, if you will. I've been to this dude's house, and I'm now just sitting there watching this guy who I've met and who I have some level of connection with, talk about this other guy that I used to be friends with and the expose going on about his current girlfriend who went on the show of the guy who used to be a regular on the show that I did with my friend Cider. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I can't turn on the internet without hearing about shit that connects to me somehow and... What do I do with that? <laughs> like, could you imagine if, like, you turned on the TV, if you turned on the news, and every day the people, everyone they were talking about was connected to you somehow? If everything you saw on TV was, like, involved you in some, like, you're not being talked about, but you're connected to everything happening that you see. And when you feel that way, It's a very different experience from hearing about things you're not connected to. Because when you watch the news and it's like, oh, uh, this guy stabbed 40 people. You're like, okay, well, that's, that sucks. The world's a fucked up place. But in my case, it would be like hearing, oh, your old friend stabbed 40 people. I'm reporter guy who you go get drinks with at night, uh, reporting on the issue. You know, like it's, it's immediate. It's happening to you on some level. You are the one who can say, oh, that's not at a distance. That's not some famous guy. That's my old friend, Monkey Jones, with whom there are videos of us hanging out together. You know, like, yeah, that's who everybody's talking about is guy who I had a podcast with, you know, and like. I'm sure there's other people who feel the same way about me, who are like, they hear about stuff going on with me, and they go, oh, that's Digibro, guy who I used to hang out with, you know? And I understand, like, why people, there's people who are, you know, my former friends who are publicly putting distance between me and them, because I am a public figure, and they hear me say some shit they don't like, and they go, oh, that guy's a public figure, and it's possible people know I used to be his friend, so I'm going to publicly disassociate with him. And then I have to look at it and go, wow, like, jokes I make on a podcast are causing people I used to know to fucking talk about how they don't like me anymore publicly. Like, the amount of just bizarre surreal experiences that I go through every day just by being a famous person is totally unreal it's totally unrelatable if you do not experience anything like this I cannot explain to you the level of it because it's all the time it's every time I open the internet 
everything that's happening is relevant to me. And sure, part of that is because, you know, the news I'm getting is from circles I'm associated with, obviously. I'm not being talked about, and nobody I'm associated with is being talked about on certain sections of the internet. In fact, most sections of the internet. But just to be like, you know, it, like just imagine if all the people who you're a fan of are all talking about you in some level. It's just a very strange experience. And it's only been in the last like six months, maybe a year that I've really been able to like start processing what this has done to me. You know, uh, there was a time uh, people always ask me about uh, my Myers-Briggs test because it's popular, whatever. I think the Myers-Briggs is I mean, it's it's fine, I guess. It's harmless. When people take it too seriously, I think it's retarded. But um, I used to test INFP before or like in the early part of me being famous. And my my test changed to INTP after a certain amount of time. And the way that I changed my answers to questions is entirely because of the way that I have changed because of fame on the internet. The way that being interacting with more people has changed me because I used to not interact with anybody. My perception of people was very different before I was thrust in front of so many people. And now that my perception of people is different, I am different and I think different. I act different. And everything you see now is the results of what happens when you interact with too many people. This is what happens when you realize what people are like. On en masse, uh, when you're constantly dealing with the weirdness of people. And even on like a micro level, I have to wonder, just like the sheer number of things I see day to day that normal people will never see. I was thinking about this earlier today because uh, Dick Masterson, who is a purveyor of every kind of weird shit that there is. He's gone, he's run headlong into the, the weird shit mountain. And granted, I have too, but I prefer to do it uh, at the distance that is art. I will consume any piece of art by anybody because I want to know how weird people's minds are, but I don't want to have to actually confront people head on because I don't like dealing with the fallout. Dick is much more capable of that. He's much more capable of handling people, of not being upset by what happens when you have to handle people. And I, I admire that about him, and that's what keeps him in a different world from me. It's why I can't quite become Dick Masterson, because I don't want to have to deal with people the way that he does. But point being, he uh, retweeted a tweet from this artist who draws some of the sexy art that he has as thumbnails on his uh, on his episodes. And it was the artist saying, Hello, people from The Dick Show. I draw Sonic the Hedgehog as a woman taking cock ad infinitum. Goodbye, people from The Dick Show. And so, of course, I clicked through their Twitter, and sure enough, it's just a bunch of pictures of gender-swapped Sonic the Hedgehog taking cock. Especially interesting because I'm pretty sure the artist is a woman, not just because they have a woman's name, but the art style is just a style that I see more women on Twitter drawing in. Um, and I was just like, wow, this is a girl who just draws Girl Sonic getting fucked by lots of guys all the time. And regular people will never see that. Never once in their life. A regular person will never even experience, and even if they did see it, they'd probably just wipe it from memory. 
they'd probably go out of their way not to catalog it. They'd see it and they'd go, oh, what the fuck is that? And then they'd immediately lose that. Not me. I see something like that and I go, this is integral information. This is frontal lobe shit. This is right at the forefront of my mind because this is the most potent piece of understanding humanity I could imagine. Like, nothing is going to get you closer to human bedrock than female Sonic the Hedgehog taking lots of cock. Nothing. And so I've cataloged just... Uh, to quote a dialect song, images, billions of images, that's what I eat. That's me. I'm the man who eats all the images. And what is constructed out of that pastiche is a portrait that most people wouldn't even be able to look at. You would look at it and you would go either, I don't understand that, or that's the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. And I think the only reason that I'm able to deal with it is honestly that I was at such a low point for so much of my life. I think that I have spent, I, I often say to May, like, I have spent a lot long staring, a lot longer staring into the abyss than most people have. And that's why I'm built to take this job. That's why I've been doing this for so long and it hasn't scared me away. It's why, like, a lot of people probably think, that the stuff I'm describing is is not that serious. And there's definitely a lot of people who could handle this because they just don't give a fuck. And that's the way you really have to be. You have to have a certain level of I just don't give a fuck or self-righteousness. Those are the two things that can get you through. And that's why everybody you see on the internet, I, I would even say it's a war right now between the self-righteous and the people who don't give a fuck. That's the two major forces at play who are the power players on the internet. Either your self-righteousness to believe that um, you know, you can suss out right from wrong and you're perfectly astute in your observations and everything you do is for the betterment of humanity. It's for s disseminating information that people need to know and your job is vitally important and that's why you can stomach all the cancer that is building inside of you. And the other side is the side that says, I don't give a fuck if I get cancer. I wasn't going to live long anyways. You're in one of the two camps and... I'm in the latter camp. I'm the type who's like, hey, I spent all my teen years wanting to kill myself. So anywhere from there is up. There's nothing that people can say or do to me that is a lower point than every single day wanting to die. How do you get any lower than that? You can't. That's the emotional low point of life is I want to die every day. So that's why I can handle this. But when I think about what I am handling, I have to take a moment and just, you know, let the exhaust fan whirl, if you will. I have to say, wow, that's a lot of fucking weird shit I'm dealing with. Normal people don't deal with this much weird shit. But I have to, because I can't live another way. I don't know how to live and be happy without doing this. I don't know. Like, I didn't figure it out before. I tried. I tried to be happy in normal ways and it didn't work. So now I'm here. And this is what happens when you are too fucking weird. When people just won't let you be yourself and also fit in. They're like, oh, that's who you are? 
yeah, we don't like that. You got to do some weird shit. You got to throw yourself in front of everybody and fucking dance and uh, just take whatever comes with that. Um, yeah, well, okay, I'll do it. None of you could do this, but I'll do it. Fuck it. Whirling, 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 keep the dervish whirling, 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 whirling. There's an adage as old as time stating that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And I think it's wholeheartedly true. Maybe just because I'm a know-it-all. And the more I've learned, the more I've learned that I don't know. But I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to propose the idea that just as well, the more you know, the more you realize that nobody knows. And I think that that is the much scarier and larger void that you find yourself staring into. Because I think that most people think that more knowledge exists than does. That, or they think the opposite. They think that nobody knows shit. And that's closer to right. I think that if you are operating under the idea that nobody around you knows jack shit about what's really going on or why, you are much closer to correct than if you think that people have a generally good sense of what's going on. Because the number of factors is so fucking overwhelming. It is so far beyond your ability to comprehend. And people are so anxious to boil everything down as much as they can. And I do it too. I mean, I have to. It's the only way you can live. It's the only way you can even make statements is by boiling as much down as you can into something that is at least actionable, something that you can you can live your life on the basis that this knowledge exists, even if it's probably way more complex than you realize. And if there's anything that drives me fucking totally insane, it's the way that people stop the buck at what they know. People just don't assume that there is more to anything, and it drives me fucking insane. And the biggest place you see this is in social media, particularly in any story that breaks. Like, if you were to read a news article, or, you know, let's be real, you're probably just reading the headline, then you are getting such a tiny fraction of context into what is going on that to make any judgment or statement on that basement, basis rather is fucking laughable. It is absolutely laughable. It is so easy to find even one ounce more context that will completely change the nature of the thing. And even if you have that, you're not even close to the full picture. You never are. And again, you do got to boil things down to an actionable level where you can make some kind of judgments. But to go on and just assume that you know the truth on the basis of a headline is fucking daft to think that you are making any kind of statement about the reality of a situation on the basis of some brief summary you heard with no context. You're a fucking idiot if you do that. And welcome to all that Twitter is. (laughs) You know? Like, that's all I see is people making snap judgments and statements about the world, about the way things are, on the basis of such 
ridiculously small knowledge or just claiming that the causes for things are things that they couldn't be. Like, okay, I, I hear a lot about this idea of corporate greed. People will say like, oh, the corporate, the people in charge of corporations are just so greedy that they cause all these problems for society. They're just so greedy. They just want more and more for themselves. That is so asinine to me. Like, that shows that your understanding of human nature is only as complex as what could be boiled down into a TV show for children. Which is made to give you a very basic, non-nuanced idea of the way things are. Because, sure, I'm sure those people are greedy. I'm sure that some of the problems they cause have to do with the fact that they maybe don't need as much money as they have. But the actual issues that people face are always the result of some kind of incredibly complex web of circumstances that when you get to the heart of it, there is no easy solution for. There is no easy, obvious answer that you would just, any good person would come to this conclusion. Because if there were, those people would have come to that conclusion because nobody is just evil. There is no evil corporate overlord who wants to hold everyone down, and the reason is, even if their motivation was pure greed, you can only get things from people if people have things to give you. So it is always in the best interest of a greedy corporate overlord to keep the economy strong, to keep people having money to spend. And if they go about that the wrong way, that's because they're stupid. Never attribute to malice what you could attribute to ignorance. And it can happen on a pretty big scale. Not all of these people end up being the CEOs of companies because they were the best fit for the job or the smartest guy in the room. It often is just they fuck up and they make bad decisions and they don't really understand what's going on because it's really difficult to. It's difficult to account for every possibility. It's difficult to think of how you doing this thing here is going to fuck up this other thing there. I am fascinated, for instance, with the story of Amazon, and a lot of my perspective on it comes from this series of videos by Polymatter, who is a great channel that just analyzes usually stuff to do with China and their financial um, situation, like what they're doing around the world, like why China is, uh, you know, having such an effect on technology and and you know moving their businesses around the world like what in their culture is motivating these changes that they're making. It's all fascinating, but he has a bunch of videos on Amazon as well and the theory behind what Amazon is trying to do. And if you think about the theory of what they're trying to do, the method that they're using to go about it is the one that makes the most sense. It's just that because they're trying to do it as fast as possible, it leads to these bad working conditions. And you could easily make the argument, I even would, that it is not, the ends don't justify the means. That maybe it's not okay to have people working in these shitty conditions, um, you know, in service of this ultimate goal. But the ultimate goal is not put as much money into the pockets of Jeff Bezos as possible. And people look at the fact that he's the world's richest man and they say, surely a lot of that money could just have gone into the, you know making things better for these people. And that might be correct. However, 
when you think about what the long-term goals of Amazon are, what they're trying to do with the system they're trying to build, it's obvious that this is a temporary problem on the road to that eventuality that they're trying to hope for. And you also have to understand that someone's net worth doesn't mean how much money is in their bank account, like how much spendable, disposable income they have. It's more a matter of the collective worth of all the assets that they own and like what they can it's it's more of a power thing than really about like you know oh Jeff Bezos can fucking have a 2 million dollar toilet in his house or something which he very well could and i mean you could see that as totally excessive i'm sure he lives excessively i'm sure he could put a lot of the money he's spending on his personal life into the hands of people i don't know if enough people you know the, the argument of course um pro-capitalism is always like what is going to motivate people to create these systems that make our society so much better if they don't if they can't hope for you know uh, reaching a point where they can live their life overly lavishly now i you know i think that's a bit of a ridiculous argument on some level nobody needs that much money but at the same time you know, it will inspire this kind of innovation. And I think that what Amazon is trying to do is something that could ultimately have a net benefit or it could not. And again, I don't know if the ends justify the means. I know I'm talking very vaguely because I watched these videos a while ago and I don't want to try to restate the mission statement of Amazon as I understand it. My point is just simply that this is a lot more complicated than just greedy billionaire doesn't want to pay his workers. You can boil it down to that, and it's possible that no matter what argument there is in favor of Amazon, they will always come out being wrong. That they always should just, it it doesn't matter what the logic is, they should be taking better care of their employees. And I think that would be a fair argument, but I don't think people are coming to that conclusion after viewing the nuance of the situation. I don't think people are assuming that there's more to it than what's on the surface. I don't think people are attributing the problem to the complications of trying to reach the ultimately noble end goals of Amazon and that this is a morally dubious approach to taking that. I think they just view it as greedy billionaire taking money and giving people shitty working conditions. And all I ask is that people appreciate the nuance of the situation. Because once you appreciate the nuance, you realize how much harder it is to make the kind of decisions that you want these people to make. It's one thing to tell somebody to make a decision that sounds easy. Oh, just give up your excessive income so people can have better working conditions. That sounds really simple and uncomplicated. It sounds like an obvious thing that they should be able to do. But then when you hear... If you were to roll out, you know, all the plans, all the reasons that things are the way they are, you'd probably be like, ooh, well, okay, let's figure out a, you know, let's reach a compromise about this. You know, like, let's figure out a way that we can reach these goals without it having to be quite like this. You know, it would definitely be a more nuanced conversation. No one's going to have this conversation because nobody's going to look at it. Nobody's going to look in depth. Nobody's going to go any deeper. Everybody just makes assumptions about whatever information they have directly in front of them, and that's what they run with. I am the type of person who, when I hear that somebody has done something ridiculous, my first instinct is to say, well, I'm sure he had his reasons. Like, 
I don't want to make any assumptions that that this person is just insane or that they that they're just unreasonable that there's no possible background knowledge that I could have that would make me understand the situation better. It's why I don't usually weigh in on current events because I don't trust the information. And every time I have weighed in on current events, events I've kind of regretted it because I usually come away feeling in the long run like there was more to it and I should have waited for more information. And, you know, there's always another side to the story. There's always more going on than meets the eye. I talked about a lot of this in my video, The Difficulties of Being Right About Anime, which I think is one of my, my favorite videos I've done. And just recently, there was a similar video by Tom Scott called, like, you know, Why You Shouldn't Trust Me Completely, just talking about how difficult it is to actually be right about something, to actually get all the information, especially when a lot of it is contested and a lot of the sources are untrustworthy and a lot of the situations are just more complicated than people have observed. And then it comes down, like, when you get really philosophical, like, we don't even understand all the rules of how the fucking universe works, you know? Like, there could be things that we can't even perceive with the limited senses that we have as human beings, which are integral to knowing how things work, you know? And a lot of people attribute a lot of the inexplainable things that you pick up through pattern recognition to some kind of higher power or spirituality. It's like when you experience a certain amount of serendipity, when you experience a certain amount of scientifically unexplained phenomena, you might think, okay, there must be a spiritual reason that this stuff is happening. No, there's definitely a scientific explanation. We just haven't found it. We just don't know everything. We just don't. It only seems that way because we know a lot. But, like, when you really start diving into all the information that's out there and you go, wait a minute, how come I can't find anything that answers this question? Well, there's only so many people even trying to answer questions out there. You know, the average person is not a scientist. The average person's not publishing their findings or, you know, doing studies on things There's only so many people studying so much shit and they're still trying to work through some of the basic shit or the stuff that's like important right now. They're, they're just like, yeah, we're, we're worried about fucking just uh, making people live longer and, uh, you know, uh, making sure the earth's not going to fucking explode or whatever. Um, but like the info is constantly, constantly coming in and then people just jump to weird conclusions. Like my mom blaming the fact that it's been raining more in Virginia, supposedly, on global warming when, A, it's not even raining more here, (laughs) and B, uh, you know, the Earth goes through phases of being warmer and cooler over the course of millennia. There are studies coming out now that are saying that man-made climate change is not even a thing. Other studies disagree. Who do you trust? They're all paid for by somebody. Uh, you know, what source is the most relevant to you? Have you vetted it yourself? Do you know what's really going on? I'm not going to pretend I know what's going on. I'm not going to try and say, fuck it, nothing's real. I'm going to live like I'm in a simulation and just do whatever the fuck I want because I know some things are real. I know some things matter. And, um, you know, there's there's proof for some things that we, we understand. But... Those should always be challenged. We should constantly be second-guessing everything because we don't know what we don't know. You don't know what you don't know. There are known knowns and there are known unknowns and there are unknown unknowns. You don't know what you don't know. Holy fucking shit. 
Well, that's it for this episode of the Whirling Dervish Podcast. I wanted to keep this one a little shorter and sweeter because I'm quite happy with the way it's gone. Uh, I want you guys to get this podcast out there. People have had a really positive reception to the Whirling Dervish. People seem to love this podcast. People have told me that they've shared it with some of their friends, told people about it. People have said that, like, oh, this is the Digibro content that I can show to people since it's not about anime, but it is interesting. So please, by all means, do more of that. I want this podcast to have a life of its own. That's why I put it up on Spotify. That's why it's on Apple Music, uh, Google Music, whatever the fuck it is, Google Podcasts. I don't think it's on Apple for whatever reason, but it's on Google, it's on Spotify. Introduce people to it, get people listening. I want there to be a dialogue surrounding this show. Right now, all it's been is, you know, the comments, which there have been comments that are interesting that either, you know, broaden the points I'm making or contest some of them, some interesting conversation here and there. But I would really like to, you know, have other people talking about this podcast, maybe get me into a position where I can invite people on, do some debates, you know, have a have a discourse going. The discourse! Oh, I'll get into the discourse on the next episode, I guess. Anyway, that's it for this Whirling Dervish. Uh, Pantsu? Yes? Do you want to say a goodbye on the Whirling Dervish? Uh, sure. I'm a sweaty motherfucker. And there you have it.